Welcome, Cap fam and friends of Crusader Athletics. I'm Sports Information Director Ryan Gasser. It's time to roll right into Episode 7 of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. We'll open today's episode with a first look at football season with head coach Chad Rogoszewski. Then we'll chat with one of, if not the best, softball player in Capital history. From the class of 2000, Cassie Cunningham joins the program to chat about life as a coach, mom, and cap grad. Today's feature is a true story of the best Capital has to offer. Ellie Watchman of Capital Women's Basketball talks about her comeback story, being the first graduate of the Bonner Leadership Program and starting her own nonprofit in Africa. And then we'll wrap up with our senior spotlight, recent cap grad and future nurse, Cassie Lee of Track and Field. Get ready to get tossed into Episode 7 of Forward Capital Crusaders. All right, fans of the purple and the white, it is time to check in on another one of your Capital Crusader programs. And we've gone through all of the spring, and now we kind of go backward a little bit into the fall. And so we bring in the sport that we all think that you want to hear the most out of as we head into the summer and the fall season. So we are going toward the gridiron, and we bring in head coach Chad Rogoszewski of the Capital Football Team to talk a little football with us. So, Coach, thanks for taking the time with us. And like I said, you're our first non-spring sport that we've talked about on the podcast. So let's start with where we usually start with all of our coaches. How are you adjusting to what is our new normal and how are you and yours doing? Well, good to be on with you, Ryan. We're, we're adjusting fine. It's definitely uh, been interesting. I think the, the term that's been used a lot is unprecedented. Uh, and that definitely, uh, you know, applies to us here uh, with with my family, with uh, w- with the football squad and um, all of our players and coaches just, you know, trying to navigate this thing, um, you know, moving forward, stay productive, um, you know, and, and really to try to come up with as good a solutions as you ca- as you can with with the restrictions that that we've that we've had recently. Well, I know but, yeah, we're we're a good time adjusting for sure. Well, I know part of the adjustment for many of us is, you know, we go home, we work from home a lot, and some of us have small children. And I know that you have a, a young daughter, and so I guess I got to ask, what's the go-to activity uh, for you and your daughter? Right. Yeah. We. I, you know, I've been I've been trying my hat out at being a kindergarten teacher, um, and you know, like I, I'd say, the results have been average to below average in in that. But we've been plugging away at at sight word flashcards and. Um, writing letters and and doing some art projects and those things. So I've spent a little bit of time doing that. But um, you know, we she's she's had a good time learning the sport of basketball. She played this winter, and I can usually coax her into uh, you know bringing the bringing the hoop uh, out and and doing some dude perfect trick shots or taking it outside into the driveway and and playing a little bit of, of basketball in the driveway. So that you know that's been something that has been fun for us. Man, it sounds like Mr. Rogoszewski, the teacher, is a pretty good one to have in the classroom, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably debatable. (laughs) Well, we know that, like, as you put on your coaching cap now, that there really isn't an off-season for coaches, and especially in football. Have you been forced to kind of take a step back, and how have you been adjusting to coaching in this new environment that we're in? Yeah, the, the, you know, the nature uh, of how things are, have, I'd say, have allowed me to do some things that I that I haven't been able 
um, to do in a typical, you know, normal, normal year, you know, getting the family together at some point in the afternoon and going for a walk just because you, you need to get outside every day. You know, that's, that's definitely not normal, um, you know, for us and, and having the little one at home and, you know, being able to, you know, enjoying the time that you spend with her because especially during the season you don't see your family a lot uh you know that you you want to keep it in perspective and say that you know look at the positive side of that that you know you're blessed to be able to to be around them I'm not going to pretend there hasn't been you know frustrating moments where we're getting on each other's nerves because that definitely uh comes into play when everyone's you know uh under the same how uh the same the same roof in the same household but um yeah I probably got a chance to read a little bit more watch a little bit more um, you know, shows on, on TV than, than I, than I normally would all while trying to, you know, keep up with, with the things that we can do at work from, you know, from a distance when we can't be around our players at all. Now, have you gotten to experience a, uh, much inflated honeydew list and, and how's that coming along? Uh, that has been inflated. <laughs> um, I, 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 Again, probably average to below average results at, at my uh, taking things off of that list. But we actually did a a little project those um, in the in the house. You know, I I got some relief from uh, Nana came in and helped out with the little one and uh, was able to get that project done. So that was definitely helpful. Um, you know, so we're, uh, there, there is a list and I'm trying to chip away at it as much as Bottom I can. Bottom line, just like for many of us, you know, the COVID era does not bring about boredom. We have had no shortage of things to do. No doubt about that. We're talking with head coach Chad <laughs> Rogaszewski at the Capital Football Program. And coach, as far as, you know, knocking things off your to-do list and maybe even training a little bit, we got to talk with one of your players, David Barnett, a couple weeks ago as he's training for his potential overseas opportunity. You know, training during this pandemic has been a real challenge, and I'm sure that your players are feeling it as well. So what's the message or expectation to your players in order to prepare themselves for the off season and next year. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it is probably one of the bigger, uh, you know, challenges that we've, that we faced not being able to have a spring and go on the field with them. And then, you know, the limitations that they're facing while at, at home, you know, not, not having gyms open, not, not having, I know we're in the Olentangy school district and they've got the football fields all, you know, chained up, locked up and signs out that you're not supposed to be on them. So just to, find some of those traditional uh, workout locations and, and some of the equipment that you need to use. Not everybody's got weights in their house and, you know, th- things that they can work out on at home. So, you know, Coach Lynch did a great job of, of providing some alternate workouts, some alternate movements. I mean, we, we stuck to what our traditional plan is as far as, you know, how we want to train them, what the what the body parts that we want to hit each day are, you know, are, are going to be, but we obviously had to come up with some body weight type, you know, movements that, that we can do things uh, that are a little bit easier when you're limited with, with equipment, you know, to use as alternatives that they didn't have access to things that we would traditionally have in a, in a weight room. And he did a great job with that. And then, you know, the biggest emphasis too, for our guys that, you know, the good thing is you can be outside. And I think, guys at this point probably you know are wanting to get outside you know being in their houses to be able to get out and do some of the the running the conditioning the speed agility quickness work um you really just need a little bit of open space to do that and um, you can do it in your backyard probably in a lot of cases so um you know we really try to make sure uh 
you know, the guys are finding a way to, to get that done, especially when they may be limited with the resources they have um, in the weight room. And just, you know, again, providing opportunities and options, um, you know, so, so that they can make those choices and, and f- find ways that they can stay active, stay in shape without having full access to everything they're used to. Now, we know that there's a lot still to be determined on the how or even if we'll be playing football in the fall. But for now, let's assume that we are. What are the first steps in getting the Crusaders back on track when the boys return? Well, you know, I think it's going to start with our planning as coaches. um, And we're really going to have to do a a good job at identifying what what we feel we can get taught well. Um, it, It is lost time that we had in the, in the spring, um, you know, just not being able to spend any time with our guys on the field. Um, and, you know, I think some good teaching, especially technique, um, can happen during that time. So, you know, it, it, it was time that, uh, we're not going to have this year that you probably can't make up for all of it in, in the fall. So I think we have to, we have to come up with packages that we think we can teach while our guys can learn and, and not try to overshoot and do, and do too much with them. Um, you know, so I think that that's, that will be our emphasis, identifying what our players, you know, talents are, where, where our strengths are and coming up with things that they're, that is learnable, you know, for those guys to, to be able to execute on the field. Now, having said all of that, do you guys look at changing some of the strategy for 2020 or is it just you know, there's going to be a lot of new faces and we have to adjust with the personnel that we have at our disposal. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's our philosophy always to really within your system. I mean, w- within your system of things that you do, you know, feature what your strengths are for, for, for that year. And I, and I think that we're going to have to, we're going to have to go into this season with that thought process is identify what our strengths are. What are the things that we do? Well, it may not be what we did, the year before, it may not be what we did two years ago, but it, you know, be able to say, you know, this is this is what we can feature out of our out of our system this this year. And we did some some uh, juggling around with our coaching staff and responsibilities, and moved some guys from offense to defense, and um, and, and it was just a chance to jumpstart things and um, you know get some fresh perspectives uh, on some things. So I, I think there'll naturally be some changes that way but um you know we'll also always have to look at hey what is our talent what can our guys do well and and utilize that we're talking with head football coach chad rogoszewski and coach kind of to look forward we do have to take a little bit of a glance in the rear view just for a second to paint that picture you know david barnett is one of those guys record-setting wide receiver that you have to replace wyatt pertusit also on his opposite uh, you'll have to replace how do you replace uh, a set of guys like those catching passes for you yeah and i guess you, you look at david barnett and i don't i don't have the the record books in in front of me but to to become the the school's all-time leading receiver he, he probably is replacing a guy that played you know maybe maybe 10 10 years ago or so, or something like that on, on that list. So it's, you're not probably going to replace a guy like that man for man. You're, you're not going to have somebody, you know, in the waiting in the wings that, that can be the next uh, career leading receiver in capital football history. So uh, what I think, you know, you have to do is, is say, how can we replace that production as, as a unit or as a team? 
Um, probably means playing better defense. It probably means getting a better run game going. It probably means, um, you know, using some guys in, in ways, um, you know, that maybe you didn't use them a year ago because you could rely on guys like David and Wyatt, you know, to make those plays for you. And, and you didn't need to ask backs to catch it as much out of the backfield or um, quarterbacks maybe is, is to be involved in, um, you know, so, some of the carrying of the football and things like that. So, you know, it, it, it'll be, how can we replace the production that we're losing more as a unit rather than an individual person doing it? Sounds like we got a case of getting your money ball on this off season, just to <laughs> piece it all together. That, that's right. That, you know, again, looking backward, just a second, uh, who are some of those key returners that are going to be expected back for the 2020 season that you're kind of excited to see back in camp? Well, yeah, there's a, you know, Right now, I'm excited to see everybody just, to, you know, with a, as abruptly as we all left campus and how everything's been communicated on emails, texts, and we've done a, you know, been able to try to do a few organizational Zoom things. And, um, you know, it, 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 it will be nice to actually, you know, get in front of these guys in, in person again and see them all again. Um, and, and we had a lot of guys I thought that were you know, making strides over the course of last season, we played a, a lot of young guys on both sides of the football. You know, um, you know, we, we had a guy like Mike Smith coming off injury, you know, at the receiver position who um, really, you know, started to be a threat as, as he got cleared mid season and got a chance to, I shouldn't say bit mid season, but early part of the season and got a chance to be in games again for us. I think he was just getting better. Um, you know, Justin McClellan played a lot of snaps for us as a freshman quarterback, you know, as we kind of rotated, um, you know, he and the, and the two older guys, Mitchell Mayshock and Andrew Ray there. Uh, you know, I, I look at a guy like Jonathan Williams, who, um, you know, just kind of played his way into really good shape during the course of, of the season. And by the end of the year, carved out a role for himself, you know, defensively at all three levels, um, whether it's, you know, Dez Turkson on the on the defensive line, Nick Fasonic at linebacker, young, young guy there that I think started every game for us. Baylor Aparius in the, in the defensive backfield played a lot more as, as the season went on and we got a little banged up and was out and, and that hurt us, um, you know, at the later midpoint of, of last year. Um, so I, I, there's a lot of promising talent that we're doing some good things in the off season is, um, you know, in terms of, you could see their approach and preparing themselves and, Really, I, I think maybe the biggest statement of all is, you know, we've had a goal and an objective since our staff has been here, you know, just a little over four years now um, that our team GPA be at a, you know, be at a 3.0 or better. And uh, this was the first semester we've been able to get there. You know, our guys had a 3.12 GPA, the returning players did. And, um, you know, so that was a great thing to see that I think we're starting, you know, I, I, I've always said it'll show up everywhere. Uh, before it shows up on the field. And, and I think that's one of those benchmarks that you look at, that there's buy-in, guys are working hard, doing, a, doing the things that they're supposed to do, and you can start to see the results from that. Um, and, you know, again, unfortunately, the last place it always shows up is on the field on Saturday. But if you can see those things happening behind the scenes first, I think you feel good about it. And certainly not to be forgotten, 
the team's community service. Many of that uh, is not talked about, but you certainly have racked up a lot of hours through various projects. So kudos to you and the team for fulfilling that obligation out of the student athlete experience. Yeah, I saw, I saw, I know our coaches and players have been out delivering meals on wheels here during the, during the pandemic, you know, getting those, those meals to people who maybe can't get out to grocery stores and, and get them on their own so that, you know, that's something that we've been able to keep up. Obviously some of the second and seven reading foundation things that we've done, or, uh, you know, some programming with veterans through Brady Quinn's third and goal foundation, you know, those have kind of been put on hiatus a a little bit right now. Um, But, you know, it's, it was good to see our guys, even, even during these last, you know, last two months, months and a month and a half still stay involved. No doubt. And then you'll get a new crop of freshmen coming in this upcoming fall that will dive into that experience as well. So talk a little bit about the recruiting trail and how it's been treating you this offseason. I know you can't give too much away, but tell any uh, of the details that you can for all of our fans out there. Well, yeah, we're, you know, we're definitely in- encouraged. It's been a-, a different process, I would say we were we were able to get through uh, you know a typical recruiting cycle with our local and regional kids kids from Ohio and surrounding states in terms of you know may have them come to a camp or a junior day last year um, get them on campus for you know a day visit after the season maybe some of them came to came to games during the year um, you know so so we got to a point that that cycle, you know, was getting close to being completed. What, you know, what we really didn't get a chance to get into was, you know, when we start to reach out a little bit later in the year outside of, um, outside of the region in the, in the local area. Um, you know, there's a lot of kids who are recruiting uh, a number of them that, that have deposited and, and plan on coming that have not physically been on campus yet. Um, they've had to rely on virtual tours. They've had to rely on, you know, conversations with, with coaches that you know, they, they've had to probably do their own research, you know, online. And, you know, I'm, I'm such a big get on campus and, and see it because if you look online, it's always going to be smiling faces, sunny days at any school you look at, you know, so, uh, you know, that, that is a piece that has been missing, but I think, um, you know, just we've been able to communicate enough to the point that, they, they feel like capital has the things that they're looking for. They feel comfortable with the coaching staff. And, um, but like I said, it, it will be unique uh, with the fact that, you know, when they, when they arrive uh, at the start of the school year, it'll probably be the first time some of those guys have stepped on campus, but, you know, we're inching closer to the, to the number of guys that, that we'd like to bring in on this class, uh, you know, a little bit more conservative in terms of really the, the fact that, that we're going to have four full classes that we've recruited um, you know, so our, our transition year recruiting class is the one that graduated this year. And that, that had been a small class all the way through. Um, but, you know, we, we aren't necessarily, you know, dealing with numbers issues right now. We're as healthy as we've been with our offseason numbers. Um, you know, so it, it was about trying to find guys that we think can be great fits for capital, be impactful in our football program and not really have to be in that situation as much where, where you're just trying to boost numbers in, in your program. And I think we're getting a, getting closer to that roster size that we feel can have some team cohesion and all the guys that are involved in the program can feel like they're being coached. They're getting on film. They feel like they're, they're a part of it, you know, not just a number standing in a line. Any areas of um, concern or not really areas of concern, but any areas that you've addressed position wise, or maybe an attribute that characterizes this class that you can share? 
Well, yeah, I just a couple of a couple of position groups, you know, that that maybe we we have just needed to boost um, some of our depth at, you know, the defensive backfield and the offensive line are two that immediately come to mind. And, um, you know, I, I think we're we've still got targets we're working on in those areas and we've got some decent numbers coming in at both of those areas. Um, and, and those are. You know, offensive linemen. I just think you can never have enough of them. You know, so you, so you're always looking to to have solid depth and numbers and development and competition at, at that position. But when you look at some of those, you know, safety type linebacker types, you know, the you're, you know, yes, you're you're playing maybe three linebackers, four DBs, or whatever personnel you're in on defense. Uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, but they're usually decent sized bodies that, that can run well. And, and those are so key to your special teams um, that you always want to have solid depth and, and numbers there. And, you know, I, I think we've, I think we still have work to do in, in both of those areas, but I also think we're at, uh, we're at a pretty decent spot in terms of the, the recruiting classes, as far as our progress towards where we want to get to. All right. Great insight from head coach. Chad Rogoszewski of the Capital Football Program. And Coach, so now it's time of the program that we put you on the hot seat. Time to learn a little bit about you and maybe a little bit about your team. So got a couple quick hitters, and uh, we're looking to see if you can spit some answers right back out at us. So first and foremost, favorite athlete growing up or currently? Uh, you know, this really came to light recently as I started to watch this last dance series, but um, I mean, I, I was a hockey player in Minnesota growing up who wanted nothing to do with basketball. And then, you know, somehow I started watching, you know, the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan play on, on WGN. You know, it, it was interesting how, you know, there's just not as many cable channels as there, as there are today, but you happen to get the Chicago channels. Um, and and I, all of a sudden I would religiously watch that team, you know, every, every game, um, and I, it, I became a, a basketball fan and, and to kind of relive some of those moments watching the last dance um, and just really see Michael Jordan's competitive code and, and how he uh, approached things. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I just think he, 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 he was an impressive competitor um, and, and he really, I, I believe kind of the passion he had to play made a guy that, really wanted nothing to do with basketball and my, and myself all of a sudden be, become a basketball fan in the, in the, you know, eighties and nineties. Now you said you're a Minnesota guy. I got to imagine this is where that question's going, but who were some of your favorite sports teams that you follow? Yeah. You know, growing up, definitely the Vikings. I, I would go to Vikings games with my dad. We had, you know, t- some type of ticket package and you know, it wasn't every game, but we, you know, we would get out to the Metrodome a lot, terrible place to watch a game, but we'd, you know, I grew up watching the Vikings play as, as I got a little older and that, you know, the, the Minnesota twins won a couple world series in 87 and 91, and then, you know, became a twins fan. And, um, you know, again, they were playing in the Metrodome, not a great place to, to watch, watch a game, but um, got a chance when they built target field to get out to a few games there. And now, I mean, that was a, that was a pretty cool experience. So I, you know, I tracked the twins. I got a little bit more time in the summer to watch baseball locally. I've, I've kind of, follow the Columbus Blue Jackets, you know, as much as, as much as any team around, around here still kind of have that love for hockey. I've taken the little one uh, out to the chillers to, you know, to skate a little bit, see if I could remember how to do it. And I, all I can say is I didn't fall, but I, but I it definitely didn't come back. Like they say it does riding a bike. I, I, I'm a ways from where I used to be as a skater, but we, you know, we, 
we uh, we do follow the Blue Jackets a little bit locally as well. How about favorite sports movie? And there's uh, probably three that 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 come to mind. It was you know this this time of year. Um, I like to pop in Field of Dreams, a cool baseball movie, and you know there's there's some like that that I'll just kind of based on the season, uh, you know, throw in uh, and, and watch, uh, you know, every year. Uh, Miracle with uh, Herb Brooks and the 1980 uh, U.S. Olympic hockey team. Um, I mean that was that was big in, in Minnesota. I actually got to meet Herb Brooks once and I have a poster uh, of the celebration after their victory over uh, the Soviet Union signed by him. Um, you know, that, that, that was pretty cool. And, you know, football wise, I think one of my favorite ones, this is probably more, uh, you know, high school, college era for me was, was the program. That was kind of an, uh, probably, probably one of the more better, like, act football action shots you know it kind of got you pumped up to to start your season when you when you watch the program and i'm sure there's better ones now but that's one that sticks out in my mind i still think it's one of the most underrated sports movies of all time so glad to hear that <laughs> now about the team who do you feel is the biggest jokester on the team yeah i think there's a number of guys that think they're pretty funny but uh they're the one that comes to mind, and he's just kind of good with with the one liners. I mean, he's a quiet guy, but then when he throws something out there, it, you know, it's really it's really pretty hilarious. Uh, is Kevin Cuervo on our on our offensive line? I've I've heard him throw out some one liners, make some make some comments that you know are are, are really on point and actually uh, pretty funny. So, he, you know, it, it's kind of a silent assassin there, but but I'd say Cuervo's has got a pretty good sense of humor. Now, I'll include the staff and the team in this next question together. Who has the best and the worst fashion sense? Uh, we, you know, I always go to Coach Lynch when we talk about best fashion sense. He's, he's got his connection at Lululemon, and I guess that's, <laughs> that's cutting-edge fashion. Um, and you know, I, I, he's always encouraging me to get Lululemon items for the staff uh you know for our for our gear that we that we wear but i haven't stepped in the store yet so i really don't know what what that's all about um you know so so he would come to mind as probably the best and i i don't know if you pulled the team they'd probably say I, i'm the worst i just you know my my fashion sense is wearing whatever you know capital issued gear on, you know whether it's a quarter zip or you know jacket or whatever and then the coaching pants that that we have is is pretty much my my fashion around the office. If you were not a football coach, what would be your dream job? Well, I've I've uh, spent more time in the last two months, months and a half, cooking than I ever have in my entire life. And uh, I mean, I, I think I'm getting pretty decent at it. We everything we we tried a chocolate tort that's baked three key lime pies and. The first two were disasters. The third one actually turned out. You know, I've made a bunch of meals on the, on the grill. Um, so I'm kind of honing my craft there as, as a chef. So right now, I think that that's my backup plan. All right. Now, I, you, you said that you were watching The Last Dance. So that's probably one of the answers to this question. But what's on your short list of things to binge watch? Yeah, def I definitely look forward to that every Sunday night. You know, I've been airing two episodes uh, a night, I think we're on uh, seven and eight, I believe this this up, this upcoming week. Uh, so I am, you know, looking forward to closing out the last dance uh, early early during the uh, 
stay at home order. I, I did make the mistake of delving into Tiger King. Um, I'm worse off for it. Um, it was, I don't just, uh, <laughs> just to watch that soap opera. I, it definitely sucks you in, but then I kind of walked away from it saying, boy, it's, but there's, this is what society's like, huh? <laughs> so, so that was, that was a little rough. Um, but you know, but other than that, I probably go back and watch stuff that, that I've, that I've seen before. Um, you know, I, I really liked parks and rec, you know, so I'll, I'll go back and, and go through some of those old episodes. Um, the office is another one that I, you know, that I like probably have not seen all the episodes of that. So, you know, go back and kind of puts my way through, through seasons on there, especially at the end that I didn't quite get to see as, as many of those. So, um, you know, I'd say for new stuff, it's pretty much the last dance. All right. Now let's go into the pet realm. Cat, do- cats, dogs, or other. Uh, that easy dogs. Others aren't <laughs> options. No cats. <laughs> no others. Good answer. Good answer. Now you're a dad. I'm a dad. Do you have a good uh, dad joke for us? Uh, I, I really don't don't have uh, a lot of planned out jokes. We, uh, I think, my family had sent out a text, you know, to the group, uh, the family group over the weekend about it being national joke day and was my, my mom was asking for jokes from the grandkids and we weren't able to come up with very many. So yeah, I'm not real, real great with the jokes. Well, here's one that you can take back with you and you can kind of, you know, allow them to grade it. But what is a duck's favorite kind of money? What I do not know. What is dollar bills? I'll I'll, uh, I'll have to run that one by Quinn, see if it's a winner or not. <laughs> Try it out with well, the my, little one. Well, my son rolled his eyes at me, so don't don't expect great uh, feedback there. <laughs> <laughs> now, and we'll wrap up, Coach. With uh, what's your favorite thing about Capital? You know, I I, I think it's an answer that uh, most people would give, but you just really run into some outstanding people there. Um, you know, pe- people in terms, you know, that care about the university, care about the students, um, you know, kind of go above and beyond in, in, in their jobs to, uh, you know, to, to help the students there uh, be successful. I've had the opportunity to meet a number of alumni, um, you know, who feel very passionately uh, uh, about capital and, you know, really selflessly support the, the, the programs and, um, you know, and do what they can and give what they can and, um, you know, want to see capital you know, be successful as a university, be successful in the athletic programs. And, um, you know, so there's just really some outstanding people uh, associated with the place. And that, that's, that's really what I've enjoyed most, you know, from great guys that I've had the opportunity to coach to, colleagues that I've been able to work with to, you know, alumni and supporters that, that have, that have really been great supporters of the university. Seems to be a pretty consistent answer. So we appreciate you taking the time with us, coach fans, be sure to follow the Crusaders football team on Twitter and Instagram at capital U underscore FB or on Facebook as well. And coach, once again, thanks for taking the time. Wish you and yours safety uh, in this time, and we hope to be seeing you real soon. Great. Sounds good, Ryan. You as well. All right. Thanks. That's Chad Rogoszewski, head coach of the Capital University football program. We'll take a short break, and we'll carry on here in Forward Capital Crusaders. 
All right, Cat Fam, it is now time to do our alumni spotlight. And today we bring in what right now is a competitor of ours, but at one point in time, <laughs> and probably still to this day, Cassie Cunningham, probably the best softball player Capital has and may ever see come through its program, is joining us here on Forward Capital Crusaders. So first and foremost, Coach Cunningham, thank you for joining us here on the program. Thanks for having me. It was a heck of an introduction. <laughs> well, you certainly earned it over the course of your uh, athletic career as a player and now as a coach. You're up at up the road and one of our regional rivals, the head coach of Ohio Wesleyan University. It's its head softball coach. And so being that said, you know, you're kind of in the same boat as a lot of our colleagues in that your season was cut short due to the pandemic. So uh, first, just kind of asking, how was your season shaping up prior to the shutdown? Honestly, um, I was really excited for this season. It's been um, a rough couple years for us, um, just in terms of our success and, and just making some pretty significant adjustments as a program. And the seniors I had, um, there were six of them in my program this year, um, and they had really put in a ton of work for us to be successful this year. And it was already playing out on the field and just the 10 games we had. We were getting markedly better um, every game and not just physically, but in the chemistry piece and the accountability piece. Um, the 10 games we played were really fun to coach and to watch. And those kids really deserved a season to be able to enjoy their hard work payoff. But um, I'm, appreciative, I'm appreciative that we had 10 games because there are teams that didn't get in. So we're going to take our 10 games and be happy with it. No doubt about it. You've been there for now 14 years. You're a two-time NCAC coach of the year, and that's just your coaching resume. Uh, I guess talk a little bit more about your time at Ohio Wesleyan. You know, what has been your experience being up the road from your alma mater and getting that head coaching job? I mean, it's been pretty awesome, to be honest. Um, when I first came to Ohio Wesleyan to interview for the job, I just felt home, and I hadn't felt that anywhere but Capital. Um, and so... Once I interviewed, I really, really hoped I got the job. And when I did, I just wanted to kind of get my feet under me and get a couple years under my belt as a head coach and see what that was like. And next thing you know, you blink and it's 14 years later. Um, but it's it's awesome. I love the kind of student athlete and the type of students we get at Ohio Wesleyan. They tend to really mesh well with my personality. Um, there's a ton of support in our athletic department, much like there is at Capitol, um, which was something I was looking for. And uh I just I'm fortunate to do something I love every day and get great kids in my program that are really passionate about it as well. All right. That's enough of the Ohio Wesleyan PSAs here. <laughs> it's hard not to. I'm sorry. No, hey, it's part of part of who you are and part of who you are is also capital. And we'll get to that in just a second. So now kind of shifting back to what you're doing in your day to day now, um, is there something that you've been doing more of? Uh, softball or non-softball related since you've had a little bit more time? To be honest, um, <laughs> I have been able to spend so much time with my daughter. It's been amazing. She is only um, 20 months old now. And so typically during this time of year, I really don't see kind of January to May. We don't get a lot of time. And to be able to have, I mean, this time with her has been amazing. It's definitely been kind of the silver lining to the struggle everybody's going through, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Now, have you already put a bat in your hand and got her hitting off the tee? Yeah, we're working left-handed a lot. Um, <laughs> no, she, she, she. My husband coaches basketball, so she's she's gonna be doing a lot. I have a feeling. Okay, that the little tykes hoops and tees are perfect yep. for this time of year. <laughs> yep. 
Now, you mentioned to me off air that you were not plugged into social media at all. <laughs> number one, how does that happen? That's like the unicorn over there. And number two, why? You know, I thought about this question. Um, I guess I just have always been a little bit more of a private person. I've never really aimed to live my life publicly. And I feel like social media is just so public. Um, I tend to kind of just keep to myself. It's not something I've ever felt the need to do. Now I appreciate it. I understand it. I know the kids that I'm coaching, the kids I'm recruiting, this is how they've grown up. Um, And so we do utilize it a lot from a softball standpoint. We have Instagram and Facebook and social media and Twitter and all those kinds of things. Um, It's just not something I've ever felt the need to do, to be honest with you. Fair enough. But like I said, you you are the unicorn. (laughs) We're we're talking with Cassie Cunningham, capital class of 2000 and one of the best softball players to come through the program. She's also the current head coach at Ohio Wesleyan University up the road. So, Coach, you pretty much transitioned from player to coach. And you haven't left the sport. Uh, you came back to serve as, as an assistant coach at Capital for six years, pretty much immediately after graduation. What made you want to take that leap, even though it was more of a, a step, since it really didn't go very far out of the game? <laughs> um, to be honest, at first, it was just I couldn't see myself away from the game. Um, but I didn't really know what that next logical step would look like. Um, I had an education major background and I was intending to teach, but I just couldn't get away from the game. And so I was afforded the opportunity um, at Ohio or at Capitol to um, jump right back in, which was awesome. Um, And then I think I just kind of found a different passion. The passion for the game was there, but it was even more exciting to see my former teammates and then, you know, the players I would coach as I got older, um, be able to enjoy that success and that growth. Um, it just kind of echoed the same type of reward I had as a player. Now you got to spend six years as an assistant. So you obviously learned a lot in that time. What were some of the most important lessons that you learned as an assistant that maybe you didn't see as a player, but now value since you lead your own program now? Well, I don't think as a player, you have any idea what goes into the the things that you take for granted, like a practice planning or the travel or budgeting. Um, and obviously I expected to, learn those things and understand those things, but I also gained a a different appreciation for them. But I think the one thing um, that I really learned uh, not just to do well, but to value was how to, how to really build relationships with kids Um, because it doesn't really matter how much you know or, or how you teach. If you don't have a relationship that it gets lost in transition. Um, And honestly, the bigger picture, yeah, we're coaching these kids for four years to play a sport that they love, but it's the relationships with us and their teammates and and the lessons we can learn together through that process that are more important. And so learning how to kind of be open and honest while still maintaining a role model um, kind of position and and level of respect, I think was the biggest transition from player to coach and what I learned as an assistant. Now, obviously being a coach and head coach at that, there are many hours and much sacrifice that you have to give to your team and to your program. What makes all of that worth it to you? Seeing kids just be successful and seeing our student athletes just become the person that you knew they could become or learn to trust themselves or learn to be vulnerable enough to 
you know, help a teammate. Um, just those life lessons and seeing that take place. I think there's more growth from 18 to 22 years old than there has been kind of up to that point in their life. And they kind of figure out who they are and what they want to be and what they're passionate about. And to be a part of that experience and to be able to witness those, you know, changes and growths take place is what keeps me coming back for sure. It sounds like that there was really never a question that you were going to be a coach there, Cassie, but was there ever an alternative career path? And if so, what was that? So I was going to be a teacher and I did teach um, straight out of school while I was assisting at Capitol um, for a few years. Um, I believe my, I say, I believe this is how long ago. I believe my certification was at the time K-8 and all subjects, um, which is not what you do now, but um, I was going to be a kindergarten teacher actually. Right. Well, that uh, I mean, you certainly have found your way into you know a very lucrative and very successful uh, career outside of the classroom. Um, we talked with Cassie Cunningham, the head coach at Ohio Wesleyan, but a former All-American, both academically and athletically at Capital. So uh, that's a nice segue to go back to your days at Capital. Let's go even further back, all, all the way to the beginning. Uh, <laughs> why did you choose to attend Capital as an undergrad? Well, there were a couple reasons. Um, I think the reason that I, I actually came to campus initially was because I had a uh, high school teammate that was attending Capitol and playing softball, and she encouraged me to visit, and I had kind of idolized her as, as a high school athlete, so I listened, um, and I came to campus, and then I loved campus. There was pretty much nothing that compared to it. I had visited several schools, and nothing felt like home. Capital was a good mix of um, kind of a smaller school, but close to the city. I felt like I could grow and be myself, uh, but I also didn't feel like I was going too far from home. Now, you roared onto the scene and as a freshman earned the first of four All-American honors in your career. And, and I'm sure your coach, Nan Payne, knew that you were good, but that's one heck of an accomplishment to obtain in your first year of collegiate ball. So how did you make that leap from high school to college sports and play at the highest of levels there? I'll be completely honest. Um, I was a late bloomer in terms of my skills, and I was pretty oblivious. So I just played and I loved it and I didn't feel pressure and I didn't feel like I had to do anything that I hadn't done in the past. And so it was a easier transition than it probably should have been. Well, it certainly was one that garnered you a, a lot of accolades and that's not just in a single season, but over the course of a career. I mean, the success just kept on coming. As you mentioned, you were a four-time All-American and I believe, in fact, I'll confirm, you're the only four-time All-American in Capital Athletics history. Not only that, but you were an academic All-American and hold countless records throughout the program. So of all of those accomplishments, and maybe even more that I didn't rattle off, which one do you feel stands out the most? Hmm. I think, honestly, the first-team All-American award that I received my senior year stands out just because... Like I said, as I came in as a freshman, I was pretty oblivious and I just played the game. And then as each year progressed and you, you know, get all this recognition and you have all these expectations, it's hard not to create extra pressure and it's hard to continue to compete at that level. You kind of grow into the pressure, I guess. Um, and as a senior, you know, we weren't playing anybody that didn't know what I was trying to do. And so there was kind of a target and I had a lot of respect for the people we played against and the coaches that we played against and to still be successful um, after four years of 
being challenged by our opponents and still kind of rising to that and really kind of understanding what it took to be successful and putting in that work, I guess, made that one feel a little bit more special. Now, did you have to build yourself a custom sized trophy case for all those accolades? Or did they fit? <laughs> you know, I honestly don't know where they are. Most of them, that might sound bad. My parents have them. Um, they have all of them because I, I think that's, that's who should have them at this point. Um, and I, I, I think they have a couple out at the house, but I don't know where they all are. Now, I mean, like you said, you were just kind of better than everybody and, and in so many different categories. And I think the one that stands out to me the most uh, is probably just single season batting average and career batting average. In one year, you hit 542. That's astounding. And over the course of your four years, hitting 488, that's incredible. Almost a, a hit every two times you go up to the plate. So what was your mentality going up there? You know, honestly, I was just trying to get on base. Um, that was my goal. And I was... I wasn't necessarily the most talented athlete, but I was blessed with speed and I was fortunate enough to have high school coaches and travel ball coaches and, and coaches at Capitol that, that taught me how to exploit that. You know, they taught me how to read defenses and where I could put a ball that I could beat it out. And that was really my only goal is to get on and then let other people behind me move me around. That and you did that a lot. <laughs> We're talking with Cassie Cunningham, class of 2000, four-time All-American in the softball program. Now, Cassie, off the field, what is one of your favorite Capital memories? You know, this question kind of threw me because it's hard to narrow down. Um, there's so many in the course of, of four years. Um, but I think, generally speaking, is just the friendships and the relationships. The class I came in with, and then graduated with, we were really impactful as a class. Um, we all pretty much played as freshmen. We enjoyed four very successful years. And then, you know, we were all, I was in all of their weddings when I graduated. Those kind of relationships just perpetuate. And, and I think that's my biggest, I guess, takeaway off the field is just the relationships that we built. And how about one that was on the field? You played in a lot of meaningful games um, and probably were a deciding factor in a lot of those. Is there one that sticks out the most? Um, I'll be completely honest. And after coaching for 20 years, the field time kind of blurs together, but, um, there's a couple, I, I remember playing, um, at Alma college, uh, my senior year, I had a ton of respect for their coach. I still do. We play against him every year. Um, but I got hurt and I remember, uh, I dove into second base and, and I actually cracked a rib and nobody knew. And then I had to sit out and I, I wasn't something I was happy with and he actually took time to come over and kind of talk to me about it and that really stood out to me um, I wasn't his athlete I wasn't his player but we had played against him for four years and um, it was just really nice to, to see someone that had that level of respect I guess for someone that really shouldn't have meant much to him so that kind of stands out um, and then other than that I mean there's a couple games I remember feeling like I was being mean to the defense because I could just kind of toy with them, but I kind of <laughs> liked it. Um, but I know like a couple of times we would play against, you know, athletes I had played summer ball with or, um, and I remember those because it was kind of a friendly rivalry, but I really just remember the fun on the field and enjoying everyone's success and that it wasn't really about me. I mean, it was great to get on base because that would give us a chance to win, but it was more about just each of us doing our job and enjoying the success that came when that happened. And you had a lot of it. And, you know, for a moment, we did get to highlight you as an individual and all of your success. And back in 2012, uh, you were inducted into the Capitol Athletics Hall of Fame. If you look back at that night and that moment, is there anything that stands out? 
honestly, having the ability to um, just publicly recognize my family. I mean, my parents are the reason I am who I am, and they sacrificed so much for me to be able to pursue a passion like softball. I mean, every summer was dad and I driving around all over the country playing softball, and those are some of the best memories I had. But what I didn't realize at the time is how much they were forming me as a person. You know, yeah, I became a coach, and that's probably part of why, but, you know, who I am is, is because them and to have a, a stage that I could publicly recognize them for who they are and who they allowed me to become and their sacrifice, um, as well as my sister and all the other people that were there that day. Um, and then the other thing that was pretty awesome that day is I didn't know this, but a ton of my former teammates came back and surprised me uh, for that weekend. And, and it was just really cool to be around them again. Now, I know that you give a lot of advice to players that you've coached over your career, but if there <laughs> is someone out there that's listening that hasn't heard you speak, what is one piece of advice that you would give a young person either entering or traversing college right now? I think just trust yourself. Um, it's easy to get persuaded uh, by other people or by society or even by social media about what's right, what's wrong, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And I think you know, I tell kids when I'm recruiting them, visit as many schools as you want. Trust your gut. When you get on a campus, you're going to have a feeling and trust that because this is your experience. Yes, your parents are a huge piece of it, as is everything else, athletics and things like that. But it's your experience and you want to be in a place that you can grow and be comfortable and be happy and find out who you are and who you want to be. And to do that, you're the only one that really knows what that's going to look like and to trust yourself. Fantastic advice from a an experienced player and coach. So anybody out there listening, take heed. Cassie Cunningham has spoken. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today on the program. Uh, we wish you success because at least right now, I don't see you on our schedule anytime soon. So <laughs> rack up the wins so long as they don't come at the expense of the Crusaders. That's fair enough. Stay safe out there as well, Coach, and, and thanks again for joining us on the program. This has been Cassie Cunningham, class of 2000, out of the women's softball program, current head coach at Ohio Wesleyan University, two-time NCAC Coach of the Year, four-time All-American while at Capitol, including academic All-American. The list goes on and on. She is our recent and most recent uh, alumni spotlight here on Forward Capital Crusaders. We've reached the halfway point in this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. Now's your chance to hit pause and head to the locker room if you need a huff. Just don't sub us out. If you're going to do any kind of subbing, make sure that you subscribe to the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast on whichever app you're listening to so you never miss an episode. And leave us a comment and a rating while you're at it. Please and thank you. It's now time for a second half action of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. Cap fam, it is time for our feature piece in today's edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. And we've talked with this crusader a couple times before, but every time we come back, there's something new to talk about with her. And that is recent graduate Ellie Watchman. And Ellie, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. And, you know, like I said, there's always something new going on with you. Not sure where to begin your, your senior season, your senior year in general, it was quite interesting. You've been traveling abroad. You made a return back to the court. You, then there's obviously COVID, and you just became a newly minted graduate, which congratulations, by the way. So mm -hmm. 
how is your new normal going and just uh you know where are we at right now yeah well first i want to say thank you um thank you for having me here today and for the congratulations it's very exciting um but the new normal is definitely different um i mean as much as anybody else it's been very very hard um but i've more than anything been overwhelmed and just joyously surprised at the strength of our community throughout it all, whether that's locally, nationally, but especially with the capital community, I have just felt so blessed um, to be reached out to by teachers, peers, mentors, um, and checked in on and celebrated during this difficult time. So I'm, I'm good. It's different. And mostly I'm just thankful for the profound community that we have. Well, we'll get in touch and, and kind of talk about what's next for you. But before we go too far into the future, uh, you know, I, I think that people that have followed you as a fan of Capital Basketball recognize most about you, your return to the program. You've struggled with leg injuries over the course of your career that took you out of commission for the better part of two full seasons. Um, but you came back. And then you averaged more than 10 points and nearly five rebounds a game, and you became a starter once again. So how did you feel uh, about your senior year as an athlete? How did that grade out? It was sweeter than any dream I could have imagined. Um, I made a promise to these girls and this team four years ago, stepping into this program, that I was going to give it my all. Um, and throughout it all, that never changed. Um, even my junior year when I was completely um, off of the team, I was supporting with my full heart. And I told myself that even if I could support the team from within the team again, that was enough for me. So whether that's, you know, a team manager or a, sitting on the bench and cheering, um, that would be fulfillment for me. And being able to uphold that promise and put that jersey back on was sweeter than anything I can describe. Um, and then, again, all of the playing time and recognitions I had received on top of all that is just icing on the cake, honestly. My only regret is that um, I couldn't help lead the team to more success this year. We are really hoping for an OAC championship. We had such a great group of girls, athletically and interpersonally. Um, they work harder than anyone I know. And so I'm really hopeful that they can get that title soon. They deserve it. Now, we certainly hope so, too, and hopes that you'll be, you know, in some way, shape or form um, supporting us along the way from wherever you may be. But once again, let's talk about that injury and, and the return um, briefly, if you can, for those that haven't caught on to the story of the last year or so. You know, what was the injury that you were healing from and, and how did you feel uh, to make that decision about returning and then finally make that return? Yeah, so. To give a little background, initially it was 14 stress fractures between two legs, um, each in different stages of healing. Um, but the culmination of all of them, I was <laughs> rotating between walking boots before I had surgery to input rods in both of my tibias. Um, and then tried to return for a year, didn't work out as well as I had hoped. Um, ultimately, I couldn't walk, let alone run with without extreme pain. Um, so I had to make the difficult decision at the beginning of my junior year um, to step away from the team for my own health, as well as to support the team the best I could. You know, being a part of the team, it just wasn't, 
it wasn't the fit for that moment in time. I could support them better by being a fan and cheering on every game um, and keeping book, which I did. <laughs> um, but I had to prioritize my health first in order to do that. And ultimately always had the goal of returning to the team, as I mentioned earlier, just to support these girls from within, support the girls that I came in with. Um, so I had those rods removed in February. Um, it was very difficult to find a surgeon willing to do that <laughs> just because of the high risks of the surgery, as well as the increased likelihood of refracture. Um, but when it finally did happen, uh, I had the surgery in February, began training with them in April, and then was playing again in Italy. Um, just, just last July then. So. I mean, that's incredible. I, I mean, could a doctor even fathom you being able to make that journey? I mean, are, is anybody else as astounded as I am out there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it would let, it, let me tell you, it was very, very hard to find someone willing to perform that surgery, especially um, with a goal of returning to athletics. Many, many doctors told me that, you know, I was done. I was going to be physically limited for the rest of my life. And my friends and family had ultimately begun to accept that, but that just wasn't a reality for me. Um, that wasn't to me a life worth living. That's not part of my identity without at least giving everything that I had to return to the court, to return to the game, to return to my family. Um, so it was, it was very, very difficult to get friends, family, and then most importantly, doctors on board. Um, but we did find a great surgeon, um, who also was a for former college athlete. So she understood where it was coming from where that passion and drive was. And she helped me get back to, you know, better than I could have imagined. And thank goodness for her or else we might not see the end chapter <laughs> of this book. But I mean, as much as you were going through at that time, how close were you really to hanging them up and just saying, you know what, I'll, I'll just be a supporter from afar. Yeah, it was, it was impossibly hard. I told the team and made that commitment that I would be at those games, but, you know, nothing tugged at the heartstrings more than not being able to play with them and physically sacrifice, you know, my body and just play the game that I love for the school that I loved. Um, I mourned never being able to lace my basketball shoes again, you know, never being able to even recreationally play the game that has shaped my identity. Um, but also in the bottom of my heart, like in the back of my mind, I always knew that I was going to give it my everything to play again. You know, I just couldn't accept not giving it my all. And, you know, it's absolutely a miracle that I am to where I am today. Um, but I don't know that I really was that close to ever giving up. I, I can't say that I ever thought that I was going to play again because I didn't know, but I knew for certain that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't back away from, again, this family. Well, given the prognosis that just about every doctor except for the one gave you, uh, more importantly, how are you feeling now and, and how is your, your physical health in relation to those injuries today? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny. I was actually talking to one of my fellow seniors just a couple weeks ago. Um, so I did end the season with stress fractures in my tibias and I had limited playing time throughout just trying to manage that time on the floor and contribute as much as I could for as long as I could without 
overdoing it. And our athletic trainer, Danielle, was just phenomenal in that and <laughs> so helpful in holding me back to the point that I could be productive because, you know, my mindset would have just carried me overboard. But um, after finishing the season with stress fractures in both legs, I took two months off and I was talking to Cassidy and I just had a revelation that it's been over six years since I've been able to walk without pain in my legs. Like it's just a euphoric feeling, one that I had completely forgotten. Um, and I'm finally getting that feeling again and it feels so good. <laughs> so it still hurts to run and I'll likely be doing non-impact activities for the rest of my life, but I am just speechless at the turnaround. Well, that, that is fantastic, and we're so glad to hear that. Who knew that uh, one would look forward so much to something as simple as walking pain-free? It really puts it into perspective. We're, mm -hmm. we're talking with recent graduate Ellie Watchman, former Capital women's basketball player who just wrapped up her career, not just as a student athlete, but also as a student at Capital University, and you've done a lot of incredible work over the last four years just off of the court as well. You were a member, a charter member of the Capital University Bonner program. Can you talk about what that is and your role in it as time has gone on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Capital Bonner Leader Program is a part of an overall Bonner Foundation that supports students across the nation. Um, to get involved in service during their time at whatever university or college they're enrolled in. So the mission really is to give access to education and the opportunity to serve. So we really recruit from a diverse pool of young adults who have leadership promise. And we ask in return for um, some stipend and as well as work study money to really get engaged in our community and complete a leadership curriculum that just develops community engaged and mindful individuals. Um, so it's been the greatest honor um, to, have, to have helped bring that to Capital University with President Paul and then our first director, Mayor Stern, and now interim director, Dr. Wilson. Um, and I just simply could not have had more pride to have been the first graduated member of this tremendous program. All individuals involved are such incredible people. Now, is this the, the Bonner Leadership Program, is this something that it recruits students out of high school or is this something that once you get to Capitol, you can begin applying to be a part of? How does it go about filling its ranks? Yeah, so we bring in a cohort of 15 students each year and that's from the freshman class. So we do an interview day only for high school seniors. Um, to see if they would be eligible for this scholarship, for this award, and if we'd like them in our program. And it's just tremendous the amount of people that we get and the people who end up coming to Capitol because they realize um, how closely Bonner and Capitol aligns with their mission as well. So traditionally it is for first years, incoming first years. And at the same time, we are very intentional about engaging the rest of the community, the rest of the campus community with the work that we are doing. So all the time we are encouraging students to join us at our sites, to come with us, even if it's not a long-term commitment, anyone is more than welcome to serve with us as well as participate in, you know, fundraisers or even social activities that we put on. 
Um, it's not meant to be exclusive purely because of, you know, funding. We can't provide everyone the scholarship, but um, we really, really hope to get the entire campus involved. Now, you've also done some traveling around the world, and through your travels, it looks like that you've made a few trips to Africa. Uh, where in Africa have you traveled, and, and what originally took you there? Yeah, so actually, as you know, I was wrestling with this inner um, identity as I was beginning to lose basketball and transition out of being able to physically demonstrate my passion with others. Um, I sort of came to realize I had always had this long-term dream of, you know, traveling to Africa. I had taken a class my freshman year, um, Honors Global Awareness, who was taught by Dr. Bashaw, and he was a former ambassador in Ethiopia. Um, so in talking with him and building a relationship there, he helped me get connected with um, an international travel agency that was involved in service and he we both decided that Kenya was the safest and most applicable country for my interests so the summer going into junior year just before I was have to step away from the basketball team um, I lived over there for a month and a half uh, serving the women and children of the community as an English teacher a math teacher um, as well as a life skills teacher and it was just phenomenal so specifically the community I was in was Kitengela it's a very, very uh, destitute and desert community. Um, and at the same time, I have never met more genuine and authentic people in my life. It was a transformative experience. So, and you began to transform their community as well. You went as far as to starting your own nonprofit service organization. So can you talk about what, as we know, as the Sakona Rescue Center, which a place that is designed to be a safe space for endangered women and children in that community. I mean, it sounds amazing. So please tell us as much as you possibly can about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's funny that it all kind of happened around the same time that I was, you know, having to step away from the basketball team. And that was also around the same time that I was returning from Kenya, um, in which there was very intense, intense, culture shock returning to the United States and it just became very difficult to live with the amenities and the opportunities that we have with the privilege that we have in knowing that you know the family that I created in Kenya you know still didn't have their basic needs met um, so I really struggled with that as well just internalizing a sense of responsibility to give back to the people who welcomed me as well as just people who deserved human rights just because they were people. <laughs> um, so as I stepped away from the basketball team and as I was mourning um, my suffering family in Kenya, I just kept in touch, kept in touch um, and finally decided that, you know, it wasn't enough just to be here and to stay in communication with them. Like I needed to do everything in my power to make sure that they were safe. Um, so with the help of you know, one of the women who took me in, who I call my Kenyan mom, her name is Agnes, we decided that we were going to start a safe house. Um, we couldn't call it an orphanage because it wasn't just taking in children, but also endangered women. Um, so we are now an officially U.S. recognized nonprofit um, fundraising for 
this development of a rescue center in which we would take in and employ abused women um, and then admit orphan children um, from the surrounding community. That sounds amazing. Now, you know, what is it that you were providing those that decide to engage in the Sakona Rescue Center? Yeah, so as a part of the Rescue Center, the children will have access to schooling, which otherwise they would not, you know, several, there are just countless kids running around the streets whose parents can't afford school. Um, And so they go uneducated and often without, you know, official recognition of the government that they exist. Um, So those kids, we're hoping to take off the streets um, with parental permission if their parents are alive. And if not, then seeking government counsel to make sure that they're approved and known that they will be in our care. Um, So they'll, they'll get schooling. They will have three meals a day and as well as, you know, life skills, empowerment classes, um, and the women too. So we're associated not only with the school, but also with a women's center that works to empower these house moms, these at-risk women um, to live better lives and at some point become independent. The children who are involved um, often are children who otherwise would just be bouncing around from house to house, you know, friends or relatives and just on the street during the day. Um, So we will provide for them so legal recognition that they exist or are citizens of the country, as well as schooling for them up through high school. Um, So the goal is ultimately to empower them to become independent and healthy individuals. And then as well, the house mothers will be enrolled in Gihon Women's Center, which is a center that teaches life skills and, you know, just general health. Um, so they'll be, hopefully we're aiming for the host moms, house moms to be with us for anywhere from two to four years until they develop the skills again to be on their own. All the while, both house moms and the children receiving three meals a day, you know, adequate nutrition, as well as lessons on general health um, so that we can just promote their well-being overall. And for anybody that's looking a little bit for a little bit more information on the Sakona Rescue Center and maybe a way to help, where can they get that information and how would you suggest that they do help? Yeah, so we have a Twitter account, Facebook and Instagram accounts, as well as a website, www.sakonarescuecenter.com. It's a little tricky with the spelling, so I might suggest looking on the social media pages first. Um, There are links all around. Um, But Anywhere, any one of those sites, you can get connected to areas to donate. Uh, We have T-shirts that we sell where 100% of the profits go toward um, sponsoring children and making sure that they're healthy and enrolled in school. Um, Again, fundraising for this overall um, development that where we could house the women and the children together. Um, So you can buy T-shirts, wristbands, make donations. Honestly, even just reposting on any sort of social media platform would be phenomenal. We're looking to increase awareness of our cause and everything that we're doing. So, you know, there are many ways to get involved and it can be as simple as a like or a retweet. We're here with 
the executive director of the Sakona Rescue Center and also recent graduate of Capital University, Ellie Watchman. And so let's wrap this up, Ellie, with a couple of questions just about Capital in general and, and your impact on it or it on you. Uh, you've graduated with your degree in mathematics. So with that being said, what do you feel is next? Yeah, <laughs> that was a great question. About a month ago, I would have told you, I'm not quite sure because I was feeling, you know, with a degree in math, I was really called to biomedical engineering. My story with my shins had left me just extremely interested in biomechanics. I actually nearly minored in physics as well. So I was accepted into Washington University to pursue um, a master's in biomechanical engineering. But ultimately, it was Capital's community and my opportunities to serve, whether that's through the Bonner program and through, you know, Sakona Rescue Center that I just decided service was more my passion. And the problem solving that I learned throughout my mathematics degree is invaluable, but it's not necessarily the direction that I wanted to take my career. Um, so I'll be headed to Washington, D.C. to study um, international development at American University uh, here in August, starting online classes just in June. I'm very excited about that, hoping that in learning international development, I'll become a better community leader and then be able to better help both Sakona Rescue Center and the communities that have built me into who I am today. That sounds like a fantastic journey to begin. The journey of you to capital is certainly one that many would probably say was predestined. You were a fifth generation capital student, which is something that we covered a couple of years ago when your older sister, Annika, also a women's basketball player, came through the program and you continued that legacy. So why is capital such a special place for you and your family? Yeah, so <laughs> growing up, capital was just innate to who we were. It, our values it's hard to de determine the difference between capital values and our family values because they are so integrally woven. Um, but in the end, I mean, it was just the feeling of community. I had already felt such a deep pride in Capital University, you know, growing up with Capital University cornhole boards and Capital t-shirts, I could feel the love going anywhere. You know, you would be approached by people be like, oh, Capital University, like, what a great school. Or I know so-and-so who went there and you're just going to do, you could do amazing things if you go there. So feeling that community before I stepped there and then especially feeling that community once I got there, um, it just solidified the decision for me. I'll never forget uh, in a scholarship competition interview, they asked me, you know, why is Capital a good fit for you? And it all came to me at once that there are a plethora of smaller communities within this greater community at Capitol. And I felt so much support that no matter what I would do here, um, I would be loved and empowered to fulfill my dreams, you know, that I could be a part of each of these different communities and be supported and celebrated in that. Um, I felt a little bit like glue that brought a couple different components of campus together and this greater overall uh, togetherness. So it just has Excellent. absolutely. And with that, be 
Yeah. With that being said, I mean, you had to have made a lot of memories along the way. Uh, can you share with us maybe a favorite memory, be it on or off the court, that has really is going to stand out with you for a long time? I don't know. It's <laughs> it's very difficult to pick one memory from the tremendous support that I've had from friends and family that I've built there, as well as, you know, like you said, success on the court. Um, I guess I would just have to rather abstract it and say that, you know, walking on campus and the brick walkways will always stand out to me for what they represent to my family and what they represent to my experience here at Capitol is, you know, Capitol has built me. These are the bricks that built me. Um, in so many ways, you know, tears of joy and tears of sadness, Capitals built me into who I am today. And never once did I walk across those brick pathways and not see someone who was genuinely caring and interested in how I was doing. Um, so just to be a part of that community, to be a feel like a brick among all these bricks that built this university and also to have been built by this university is just something I'll never forget. Well, we sure hope you don't. We sure hope you don't forget us because we would love to see and check back in with you sometime down the road when we know that you're doing fantastic things. This has been Ellie Watchman, recent graduate of Capital University, fifth generation Capital student, women's basketball player, two-time All-OAC honoree, charter member of the Capital University Bonner Program, executive director of the Sakona Rescue Center located in Kenya. Ellie, am I missing anything? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time with us. We certainly uh, appreciate it. We wish you the best of luck, and we can't wait to check back in with you when you have another report uh, to tell us about all the awesome things that you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. And in a typical hashtag YD3 moment, the just conglomeration of what it means to be a Division Three student athlete right here in the form of Ellie Watchman. Stick around, ladies and gentlemen. We'll keep on going in Forward Capital Crusaders. All right, Cat Fam, it is time for our senior spotlight, and this time we go to the track and field where we have selected Cassie Lee, a native of Piqua, Ohio, to join us today. We get to know Cassie just a little bit, and if you didn't hear, it was kind of a wild senior year for Cassie. You come into your senior year, Cassie, on a mission. You broke a school record. Uh, you just missed a podium spot at the indoor OAC track and field championships, and then the pause button gets hit on the rest of your senior season, but you can't stop because you're finishing your nursing degree, which means that you go out into the field in the middle of this pandemic to serve the community. So all that being said, how was your senior year? Uh, it was definitely a wild ride to say the least. I mean, you come in with a lot of expectations of how your senior year is going to go. And then it just kind of gets diced into pieces and it's just kind of completely unexpected. So it was, Definitely not exactly what I was hoping my senior year would be, but I can't really complain because I got to do a lot of the stuff that I said I wanted to do my senior year. So it certainly seems like it's it's one that you can't forget. Uh, I don't think that anybody that goes through something like this, as much as we may try, that 
it's just something that we can't, uh, that we will always remember. So just going through your senior year, if you had to pick a moment where, you know, something's going to stick out, what's that going to be? In a good light or a bad light? I guess either way. It can t- be taken either way. <laughs> I would say, well, hmm. I would say I'll do both. So in a good light, I think it's just really spending t- like quality time with my friends my senior year and just kind of doing whatever we kind of wanted to do because it's like, hey, it's senior year. Let's go out and let's have fun because it's our last time here at Capitol. Um, I would say in a bad light, the moment that'll stick out to me is probably the phone call I got from my coach telling us that our like outdoor season was like axed that it wasn't happening. Definitely. And, you know, we've talked about the senior year, but we have to go back in time to kind of see how you got to this point. So let's start from the beginning and the most obvious question. Why capital? <laughs> uh, so Honestly, I didn't really want to come to Capitol at first. I had an older brother going to Capitol at the time, and we've all gone to school together since literally kindergarten. I was like, there's no way I want to come here. I kind of want to be my own person. Like, there's just no way. And then I went on a visit to Capitol through kind of like the track and field program. Uh, Hannah Weiss kind of reached out to me as like, hey, like, we're kind of looking at you for the track and field team. Like, come up for a visit and just kind of see what we're all about. So I was like, I might as well kind of give it a chance. I came up. I instantly fell in love with Capitol's campus. I was like, I thought I had a different plan for myself, but I was just like, there's absolutely nowhere else I would want to be. So after that visit, I ended up applying, got accepted. And I also got accepted into the nursing program. And that was just kind of the seal, the cherry on top of everything. Now, you kind of alluded to it, but you have not one, but two brothers that bleed purple as well. You have an older brother, Chris, (laughs) who ironically, Chris was my son's flag football coach for a fall season. So got to know him outside of the classroom as well. And then you have a younger Mm -hmm. brother, Cameron, who also is playing football. And so is there a deeper connection to capital in your family, uh, be it that Chris started it, your parents started it, or is it because of the tight-knit family that you do have that kind of brought you all to Capitol in the first place? Um, It really started with Christopher. None of us ever heard of Capitol until he was being looked at for football. He went up for a few visits and then decided to go to Capitol, and we came up for some games. And I was like, oh, it's a pretty nice school. Um, Yeah, I just I think just because of how we are as a family and just kind of me and Christopher already went there, so I guess Cam followed in our footsteps. Also, he could continue his athletic career at Capitol as well, same as we did. I think that's kind of the reason why we all decided to go to Cap. It's just kind of like we're all there. We're all a family. We have someone up there that like we can talk to, like we know, and it's not as scary a process as it would be if we were to go somewhere completely different. Now, are there any more siblings out of the Lee family that I need to know about that are coming up through the ranks? <laughs> Not at the moment. I do have a younger sister. She is graduating this year as well. I believe I'm, she doesn't really know exactly where she's going quite yet. Not sure. Capital. I have a younger brother who is 13 now. So we have a while on him. He wants to do engineering. So I don't know if that'll change later on or what he wants to do. And then I also have a cousin who lives with us and she's 14 and kind of in the same boat as my little brother they just have a little bit of time before they decide but you got 
two to three more people that could possibly go to Canada. All right. Well, just like well, you might have done your part in bringing Chris to us, we're going to expect you to also <laughs> turn into a admissions counselor and bring them along the way, too. So hopefully <laughs> we'll be talking about them in a few years as well. We're talking with Cassie Lee, a recent graduate now of Capital University from Piqua, Ohio. And so, Cassie, you head to the track to compete. Talk about your athletic career prior to Capital and why you chose to continue it. So I've been playing sports literally my entire life. I started playing soccer from the age of six until my senior year of high school. So I saw it about 12 years of soccer. I played basketball about the same amount of time. Uh, I started track and field in junior high. I did cheerleading for a little bit in high school. I was just just to go to my brother's game. That's the only reason I was a cheerleader, but it was a good time. Uh, so I did sports year round. It's just something that's been a part of my life since I could remember. And I was like, I just really want to continue this into college. And Capital was a way for me to continue to do a sport. Track and field was definitely not my first like sport that I would choose to continue in college. Like it's definitely not something I thought I would do, but it just turned out to be the perfect fit for me. And I just, I fell even more in love with the sport as I went on with it and got to capital. So if not track, what was the desired sport that you wish you could have continued? Oh, basketball. I miss basketball so much, but at the college level, I was a postcard in high school, but I'm five, seven and college postcards for girls are like six foot. I was like, there's absolutely <laughs> no way that I could do that, but I do enjoy going to the games and watching them play. So it was a good time. So when you got into track and field, tell us, did the did your events kind of pick you? Did you pick your events? How did you come to be a thrower? Um, so in junior high, like we're forced to do everything. Like we all did a field event, like we all did all of them. And then we also had to do running. So when high school came around, I actually did hurdles for two years and then I also threw. And then I just I'm not a runner. I say that all the time, like as a thrower, I was like, I just, I don't run. Like I didn't really enjoy it. So I ended up just kind of sticking with the field and it was just a perfect fit for me. I mean, I'm strong, I'm tall ish. And I was just able to find my rhythm in the throws. And then I just stuck with that. Well, and you turned it into a pretty lucrative collegiate career. You ended up breaking a couple of records and let's talk about one of them. Uh, you broke a record this year in the weight throw and you also own the record in the hammer throw on the outdoor circuit. So uh, let's go through both of those moments. Uh, can you take us through each of those throws or each of those moments? What was going through your mind um, and, and just kind of take us through one of those. Yeah. So for the weight throw this year, it was at, I believe all Ohio at Otterbein. Um, it was just, I, I love weight throw hammer throw is my main event, but weight throw, it just kind of gets you ready for the, um, for the hammer. And basically I just went in, it was my first time qualifying for all Ohio. I was like, this, this is my last time throwing weight. Like I kind of want to go all out. I just stepped into the ring and just gave it my all. And thankfully on my last throw, I was able to throw out a pretty decent throw and claim the, um, the school record for weight. And so for the hammer, that's, you said, that's your, your main event. That's your highlight. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, 
does that stand out as the more memorable one because that's the one you favor the most? Yeah, definitely. So also the meet that we were at was spectacular. So we went to Indiana University uh, last last outdoor season. And um, it was after after school, like let out and everything. So I stayed after school, kind of practicing, kind of just doing what I needed to do. And we went to Indiana. I, the competition there was absolutely insane. We had Division One schools. Uh, we had an Olympian Olympic thrower named Deanna Price. She was there throwing and competing. Uh, so Division Three school competing against an Olympian was a little. It's just one of my favorite memories ever. I got to talk to her, got some pictures with her, got some throwing advice. And I was just like, well, if I'm going to be throwing in front of an Olympian, I kind of, <laughs> I better throw well. So I was able to throw out a school record at that meet. And it was just probably one of the memories that will stick with me forever. Fantastic. Now, for those that are not as familiar with these two events, obviously the weight is on the indoor circuit. The hammer is on the outdoor circuit. But beyond that, mm-hmm. how would you describe to somebody without the benefit of video right now, the difference between the two of us. <laughs> okay. So weight throw, you have a heavier ball indoors. So it's about for females, it's 20 pounds. And for males, I believe it's 35 or 30, somewhere in that range. And it's encased on a harness with a handle. So it's a very short, I guess, implement and you spin around in circles, gaining momentum, and then you just kind of toss it in <laughs> through the air and hope it lands inside like the sector sector lines. And then hammer for outdoor is basically the same concept, except it's an eight, an eight pound ball connected to a long wire on a handle. So it's a little bit, it's a lot lighter. So you can pick up a lot more speed and throw it a lot farther. Gotcha. All right. So I can see why the hammer might be a little bit more enticing. It just feels like that has mm-hmm. a lot, a uh, lot more to give as far as satisfaction at the end of the throw. Yes. Excellent. Well, we're talking with Cassie Lee, who does both the weight and the hammer. Uh, she graduated from Capitol just about a week or so ago. And Cassie, unfortunately, uh, you had to hit the pause button on your outdoor senior, uh, season, so you didn't get to throw the hammer. Talk about what that transition was, refocusing your efforts from the throwing ring to the classroom, or in your case, a, a field experience, being that you're a nursing major. So it was definitely a big culture shock because I've been able to kind of train myself and my body to go through nursing school and through track practice and meets and just kind of be able to divide my time. But just having the time to do nursing was a bit of a shock to me. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Is I had just a lot more time on my hands. So it was just an odd feeling to me. I was able to get my work done in a more decent amount of time but it was just very odd and then once coronavirus hit for nursing we weren't allowed to actually go into the hospitals so we had to do these online modules that kind of simulated us at clinicals and like like case case studies that kind of represent like what we would see normally in the hospitals or wherever we were placed for our clinicals so it sounds like you had a and this is kind of what I've learned of nursing majors is that your experience in your final semester is very different from one person to the next. So you say that uh, your experience was more of an online nature. Can you talk us through what that looks like for someone that is wrapping up the end of their nursing degree? 
So it was definitely a lot different. I mean, for nurses, everything's really hands-on. So we would have a lot of simulations that we would go into up in the nursing lab and just kind of do hands-on practices and kind of go through the motions of like what we would be seeing in in hospitals or wherever. And we weren't able to do that. So we'd have to do online ones as well. And just, it's a lot different and a lot, I feel like harder for me specifically because I'm a hands-on learner and everything being online, it was just kind of a culture shock, I feel like, to a lot of us. Now, you did get some field experience, maybe not this past semester while wrapping up your degree, but previously in other field experiences, so to say. Can you talk about some of those that you've had? Yeah, so I've had clinicals kind of all over Columbus. I've been at Ohio State. I've been at Riverside. I've been at Mount Carmel. Capital's program really kind of diversifies where you go and what you're able to see. So I was on a med surge unit, which was fantastic. And med surge basically means like it's just kind of general nursing, like floor nursing. So you kind of just see all types of different problems. Uh, this semester before everything kind of went to online, I was at a, on a psych unit at Riverside. And then I was also at a, um, a middle school. Now, those are very different demographics as far as the people that you would be serving. <laughs> so, uh, you know, ironically, being Nurse Appreciation Week here soon, it seems like, um, you know, there's an appreciation for all kinds of nurses, whether they are in a hospital or they are in a school can you talk about just serving all kinds of different types of people and how the needs differ from each location? Yeah. So at the middle school, it's definitely going to be different than when you're on a psych unit, obviously for middle schoolers, it's kind of figuring out what's going on with them, how we can best like help them. I mean, where we were at, we were at Buckeye middle school, me and my clinical group. So the demographic there is a lot different than how, I went to middle school and like what I'm used to and they were dealing with a lot of different problems that like I like heard of but never saw firsthand so trying to deal with that and kind of coming face to face with that was really difficult for me and then we're on the psych unit this is our first experience ever on a psych unit when you hit your senior year at Capitol so it's just really different it's kind of hard in a sense this type of nursing is more observation on both ends than anything we've done in the past because in the past, we have patients we can do certain things with, with the guidance of a nurse or a clinical instructor. But the senior year is basically observation and kind of using your, I guess, talking skills in a sense to kind of deduce what's going on with your patients. Now, I know everything's kind of a little bit shaky with everything that's going on right now. But for you, what is next? Is it uh, more experience? Is it testing? Is it going out and finding that job? Or do you already have one lined up? So thankfully, I already have a job lined up. It starts on July 6th. I will be working at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center in the operating room. So I'm very, very excited about that. Do they have a, a list of responsibilities that you might find yourself into? Um, I'm not entirely certain. It's kind of, they haven't really gotten back to me on a lot of stuff, but I'm like, I've been down to the OR a few times and then there's, there's two different types. So there's one that documents everything basically that's going on in the surgery. And then there's a, um, circulating nurse, which basically she kind of helps out with like the surgeon giving him his implements and stuff like that. 
Excellent. Well, we certainly, not just because we're coming off of Nurses Appreciation Week here, but just in general, with everything that's going on, we appreciate you jumping right into the saddle and taking care of our community (laughs) and for some of us, even our loved ones. So first, thank you, Cassie, on that. Uh, Now we have to throw you into another saddle of sorts. We call it the hot seat. This is where we get to learn a little bit about you, just some of the little things that, uh, you know, little factoids about Cassie Lee. So Cassie, what or who is your favorite athlete? Deanna Price. She's an Olympic thrower. She throws the hammer. And if you were to sit down and watch a sports movie, what's your favorite? Uh, Miracle on ice. Favorite food that you splurge on when the time is right? Crab ragoons every day. Every time. That is a, that is a, very gutsy choice, and I'm going to go with you on that one. That's solid. Now, <laughs> what's your favorite dipping sauce with those? Oh, has to be the uh, sweet and Bingo. sour Bingo. You got it right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> your hobby or go-to activity that you use to relax? I read a lot. I All love right. Favorite reading. genre of book? Uh, I kind of like horror slash um... – Oh, what is Murder Mysteries? All right. Now, since you're a reader, I'm not sure this will apply, but is there a show that you're binge watching right now? Yes, actually. It's called Money Heist on Netflix. It's and it's in Spanish, but you can kind of put the subtitles and change like the uh, talking to English. And it's very, very interesting, to say the All least. Right. Now, what is on deck next to be binge watched? Uh, it's called The Witcher, which is also on Netflix. All right, so you've got a plan and everything. <laughs> of first course. thing you're going to do when you receive your first adult paycheck. I'm going to buy uh, furniture probably for my apartment, pay my bills off, and then get a tattoo. <laughs> well, now I have to ask, what's that tattoo going to be? So it's a quote from my favorite video game. It's a uh, Sick Parvis Magna, which means... Um, Greatness from small beginnings. All right. Now, I am I thought I was a video gamer, but I don't know where that comes from. What video game does that come from? Uh, it's the Uncharted series. It's the my, the only video game I really play consistently. Like, I've beaten every single video game about five times. So I just continue to play. I was playing it before this interview, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, sorry to disrupt that. Then. Oh, no, it's perfectly fine. All right. What's your top bucket list item? Oh. My top bucket list. Probably go to the top of the Eiffel Tower, which sounds kind of cliche, but that's definitely what I would do. Okay. What's your guilty pleasure? Oh, goodness. I really like the, I watched the TV show, um, Alaskan Bush People. I know it's fake, but I love that TV show so much. All right. And we'll wrap it up on a serious note. And this one you can get a little long winded with if you want. But what, what is okay. your favorite capital memory? Oh, goodness. There's a lot of capital memories. Um, I think it's just kind of a conglomeration of everything. Everything over these past four years has been nothing short of amazing. I've met basically my family through capital, and I couldn't be more thankful for everything that they've provided me with. Um, All of the friends that I'll have forever, all the future godparents and future possibly siblings. I don't even, like, it's just... It's afforded me a family that I didn't think I would find in college. And I'm just, I'm just so grateful for everything that I've 
been given over these past four years. Well, Cassie, we certainly thank you for being a part of the Cat Fam and really just everything that you've given back to it, not just taken from it, but given back to it. So thank you for that. Thank you for what you're about to do as you head out into the adult world through the Capitol gates and congratulations on your recent graduation. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Cassie Lee, a recent graduate of Capital University. It's kind of weird because we're doing this as a senior spotlight. We're going to have to transition into recent graduate spotlights. But Cassie comes from Pickle, <laughs> Ohio. We'll stick around here in the Columbus area as she heads out into her nursing career at the Ohio State Wexner Medical Center. And Cassie, once again, congratulations and good luck the rest of the way. Thank All right, so we're going to take a short break and then we'll wrap it up here on Forward Capital Crusaders. What a way to end episode seven, but with back-to-back segments that perfectly exemplify a capital student athlete, successful, selfless individuals getting ready to make the world a better place. Next week, we'll be checking in with associate athletic director and head women's basketball coach, Dixie Jeffers. It'll also be another golf-heavy episode when we feature our story on the 40th anniversary of the 1980 men's golf team's fourth-place finish at the NCAA tournament. And our senior spotlight will be Sydney Kelly of the Capital Women's Golf Team. Before we head out, we ask that you please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating if you like the show. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, and now on Apple Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Cap Fam, let's keep moving forward. I'm Sports Information Director Ryan Gasser. Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. Stay safe, everyone.